Podcastle, number 28, for October 7th, 2008. The Tanuki Kettle, by Yuji Foster. Welcome to Podcastle. I'm M.K. Hobson, and this week we have Tanuki Kettle from Yuji Foster. It was originally published in July 2007 in Cricket. You might say it's a daring choice of subject matter for a magazine aimed at young readers, but only if you happen to know about the Tanuki's racy reputation. Way back in the early 90s, I lived in Japan, and Tanuki statues were everywhere. They were generally about the size of garden gnomes, and you'd see them outside of noodle shops or bars or okonomiyaki restaurants. They were a godsend if you couldn't read Japanese, because a tanuki outside meant food inside. They depicted a pleasantly disreputable beast with a big belly, a cone-shaped hat, a bottle of sake in one paw, and a bill in the other. A little seedy, but overall PG-13. That is, until you got to the testicles. The giant testicles, in fact, that the statues were often blessed with. Tanuki testicles are the stuff of Japanese legend. According to some sources, they can be stretched to the size of eight tatami mats. Now, standard tatami mats being six feet by three feet, I think you'll agree those are some stupendous testicles. Tanukis are also sometimes said to use their expandable testicles as drums, beating out a pompoko sound. Now, if you're a fan of Studio Ghibli, you'll recognize that as the title of one of their somewhat lesser-known films, which features Tanukis performing amazing feats of testicular bravado. In order to make the film more palatable to Western audiences, however, the English dub refers to them as pouches, thus cheating the poor Tanukis of the glory that is rightfully theirs. Well, perhaps it's for the best. In today's story, the author wisely sidesteps the whole testicle issue and presents us with an utterly charming and completely work-safe tale in which the Tanuki's more G-rated shape-shifting abilities are highlighted. Yuji Foster lives in Atlanta with her husband, Matthew, and her pet skunk, Hobkin, who, she says, played a not inconsiderable role in providing the inspiration for the Tanuki. Her publication credits now number over 100, and her fiction has appeared in Realms of Fantasy, Orson Scott Card's Intergalactic Medicine Show, and The Third Alternative, as well as in Podcastle's sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. She has stories forthcoming in Interzone and Jim Bain's Universe, and is also the managing editor of the short fiction and poetry review magazine The Fix, published by TTA Press. The story is read today by Tina Connolly, who's an actor and writer here in my neck of the woods, Portland, Oregon. Her stories have appeared in Heliotrope and Good Magazine, and you can learn more at her website, www.tinaconnolly.com. Enjoy the story! The Tanuki Kettle by Yuji Foster When Hisa was a baby, her mother called in a soothsayer to cast her daughter's horoscope. The old woman pulled out her astrology charts and consulted them while incense turned the air blue with perfumed smoke. That day, the fortune-teller had a headache and was in a black mood. Though Hisa's mother brought her a cup of hot green tea and fanned her sweating brow, the old woman continued to scowl. "'This child will be too bold for her own good,' the fortune-teller grumbled. "'Is there nothing I can do?' asked Tisa's distraught mother. "'I could hire tutors to teach her the folly of brashness.' "'That is not sufficient.' The soothsayer's eyes lit on the brimming teapot. "'She must grow up to be a lowly tea-girl.' Hisa's mother wanted above all for her daughter to have a joyful and serene life, 
as befitting a devout follower of Buddha. Did not the teachings of Buddha extol the virtues of poverty and humility? Hisa's mother bowed her head to fate. If the cosmos wished her daughter to be a tea-girl, so be it. She bundled Hisa in the poorest swaddling she could find, purchased a tea-house in a humble village, and took up residence there. She raised her daughter to be thoughtful and kind, and above all to understand that every moment presents an opportunity to act, and that these choices determine one's happiness. When Hisa's mother caught the lung cough and passed on to her next life, Hisa took charge of the tea-house. When a new landowner moved into the village and raised every one's taxes, she accepted it with philosophic grace. She did, however, wish that the new landowner, Lord Seichi, would be more considerate. He brought his hunting parties thundering through the narrow streets of the village at all hours, day and night, whooping fit to awaken the ancestral spirits. The rumble of hooves knocked shelves awry on the walls, and pots and pans free from their hooks. One day, when Hisa was preparing for her busy day, Lord Seichi took his hunters racing past in the street outside the tea-house. Their commotion startled Hisa so much that she dropped the copper kettle she was scouring. A great gash appeared in the lid as the kettle bumped and rolled over the hard stone floor. "'Oh, pickled plums!' Hisa exclaimed. As everyone knew, an imperfect tea-kettle brewed imperfect tea. She examined the rent in the middle. It was quite wide. Hisa glowered. Enough was enough. She would petition Lord Seichi to cease the thoughtless ruckus and to compensate her for her loss. As she opened the door, Hisa was surprised to see an iron kettle sitting on her step. It had a large, round belly and four stumpy legs. The spout was wide and curved like a fox's mouth, with two round black eyes above it. And most curious, a pair of pointed triangles jutted from the top, exactly like a pair of ears. What an unusual tea-kettle! Hisa looked, but there was no one about. She set aside her broken pot and brought the new iron one inside. She poured sweet, cool water into it. Where her old kettle took eight dippers of water, this new one required a full twelve to fill. Hisa stoked the fire high and lifted the kettle to the hook. "'Mistress, I thank you for the drink, but please don't put me on the fire.' Hisa spun around, slashing water on the floor. "'Who said that?' "'It was I, mistress. The tea-kettle.' Hisa stared at the iron pot in her hands. "'Tea-kettles do not talk.' I'm only pretending to be a tea-kettle. What are you when you're not frightening tea-girls? A Tengu demon, perhaps? Oh, no, nothing like that. I'm just a tanuki. Hisa laughed. A raccoon dog. My new tea-kettle is a raccoon dog. How on earth did you end up like this? Well, mistress, a tea-kettle is round with a large belly. And so are Tanuki, so it seemed an easy shape to take. I was in a hurry, you see. With gentle consideration, Hisa set the Tanuki kettle down. But why did you need to change shape? 
Ah! The tanuki kettle seemed to droop. The high ears sagged and the muzzle bowed, spilling a trickle of water. I was chasing chickens in the Lord's courtyard. I only do it for sport, you understand. I didn't mean any harm. But Lord Seichi did not find my choice of recreation amusing. He assembled his hunters to chase me. In order to escape, I changed my shape. Tanuki are quite good at that. But please, good mistress, don't put me on the stove. It's very hot, and I'll be burned. Asa giggled at the tanuki kettle's anxious tone. How will I make tea, then? Besides, you should not chase chickens. It distresses them, and does not the Buddha teach us to cause no suffering? Do you not think it fitting to suffer my cook-fire as reparation for your naughty deed? Oh, please, mistress! I'm teasing you, tanuki. Of course I won't put you on the stove. She retrieved her copper kettle. I can use this one. I will simply have to tell my patrons what happened and charge them half my usual fee. She poured water into the broken kettle and set it on the fire. The tanuki kettle shuddered. Why don't you turn back into a tanuki if the fire troubles you so? asked Tisa. I can't. I can only change my shape at night. While the sun promenades in the sky, I'm stuck in whatever form I took when the cock crowed. Hisa covered her smile with her hand, not wishing to offend the tanuki kettle. Is it so terrible being a tea kettle? I cannot run or jump, mistress, and I have a fearsome itch behind my left ear. Hisa, struggling to maintain a solemn expression, scrubbed behind the tea kettle's ears. Is that better? The tanuki kettle sighed. May good fortune be yours for ever, mistress. Steam began to billow in clouds and streamers from the torn copper lid on the stove. Hisa scritched the tanuki kettle one last time, before lifting the hot copper kettle and pouring boiling water into serving pots filled with tea leaves. Swirling a sip into a cup, she tasted it. Bitter, as I feared, Hisa said. I hope my customers will be charitable. She set the pots on the tray. Wait, mistress. I can help. You are volunteering to go on the fire? The tanuki humped, and its mouth seemed shut. Hisa was instantly contrite. I'm sorry for teasing you. Please tell me how you can help. I have already done it. What? I'm not telling. But you will thank me later. The tanuki kettle refused to speak another word, no matter how Hisa cajoled and wheedled. She even scrubbed its iron ear again, and although one eye fluttered close in pleasure, not a single word passed through its spout. I cannot spend my morning beseeching your kettle, Hisa said at last. She picked up her tray and went out to her thirsty customers. First was Kisho the fisherman. I'm very sorry, Hisa said. My tea kettle broke this morning, so the tea is bitter. But to make up for it, I will only charge you half price. Kiso, who was not known for his cheerful disposition, frowned and accepted the cup she offered. He took a cautious sip, and a magnificent smile spread over his face. 
That is quite a joke you played, he said, to make me expect bitter tea and to serve me this kingly silver leaf. He slipped several shoe on her tray, double the usual charge. Keep it coming, eh? Perplexed, Hisa went over to Ruo the tailor and Haru the goatkeeper. She served them tea with her apologies, and again they too exclaimed it was the best, sweetest, and most delicious tea they had ever had. Haru gave her an extra shoe, and Ryo, not to be outdone, gave her two extra. Hisa skipped back into the kitchen. Tanuki kettle! Whatever it was you did, thank you! And she kissed the kettle on its cool iron ear. I told you you'd thank me. Despite the satisfied words, the tanuki kettle sounded shy. For a moment the gray iron took on a faint, pinkish cast. Hesa wanted to stay and question the tanuki kettle, but her customers clamored for her. At the end of the morning her face flushed from running to and fro and her apron pockets bulging with money. Hesa plopped down in the kitchen. Goodness! I don't think I've ever had such a busy day. It seems everyone from the cart drivers to the silk weavers came in to sample your tea. The tanuki kettle regarded her with shining eyes. Hesa, have you ever wanted to be other than a humble tea girl? I have a little magic. Hisa patted the tanuki kettle on its round belly. Do not squander more miracles on me. I am perfectly happy. I would not wish my life otherwise. Is there nothing you desire? Hisa paused. Well, I confess I am lonely sometimes, but that is not something tanuki magic can fix. Just then the little chime over the tea-house door rang, announcing the arrival of customers. Hisa picked up her tray and ran out to greet them. She didn't have a moment to catch her breath until the sun had turned away to allow Lady Moon to unveil her face. When she returned to the kitchen, the tanuki kettle was gone. "'Ah, oh, my friend,' Hisa said, "'I would have liked to have seen you in your natural shape.' I hope you are jumping, running, and scratching to your heart's joy. Exhausted, Hisa lay down on her tatami mat and closed her eyes. She was awakened by the rumble of hooves. The vibrations grew so fierce her broken copper kettle fell off its shelf and cracked its base. Scorched rice cakes! Hisa cried. Now it can't even hold water! She stalked to the door and flung it open. Lord Seiichi would hear her grievance. Before she could take a step, a flurry of russet fur streaked at her. Mistress, mistress, save me! Hisa recognized the tanuki's voice and spread wide her arms. The raccoon dog sprang, and as it hurtled through the air, its four legs stiffened. Its coat became sleek and hard, and its tail fused to its back. Oof! Hisa caught the tanuki kettle in her arms and staggered back. Miss! You! Tea girl! With her arms wrapped around the kettle, Hisa turned. It was not the landowner who led the hunt, but his son, Akio. His face was angry and red as he swung off his horse. Give me that tanuki, he demanded. It has been terrorizing my father's chickens. 
Isa raised an eyebrow. "'This is a tea-kettle. Tea-kettles do not chase chickens.' She jabbed the tanuki kettle with a stern finger. "'Do they?' The tanuki kettle uttered a tiny, apologetic whimper. "'It is a magical raccoon dog,' the landowner's son said. "'It can change shape.' "'What silliness! It is my new tea-kettle. I had to acquire a new one because you and your gang of ruffians—' And she waved her hand at Akio— Keep charging up and down the street when decent people are trying to sleep or make a living. Because of you I dropped my old copper kettle yesterday and the lid broke. Hisa shook her finger, and the landowner's son, taken aback, retreated. Then this morning, Hisa continued, your din caused my already broken kettle to fall off the shelf and crack, so it can no longer hold water. Akio fell back another step. "'And now you want to steal my new kettle?' Akio's eyes grew wide as plates. "'I—I I did not realize. Of course you didn't. All you care about is galloping about chasing helpless raccoon dogs. And when you cannot catch them, you turn on innocent tea-kettles.' The tanuki kettle squirmed guiltily in her arms. Isa thumped it with her finger, and it stilled. "'Let me make amends,' said Akio. "'I did not realize the huntsmen were such a nuisance.' Isa, who had expected argument and blustering, stopped short. "'You're apologizing?' "'The Buddha has expounded on the importance of reflecting before, during, and after performing an action. Since I have neglected to reflect before and during my actions, it behooves me to at least consider them afterward.' Until that moment, Hisa had not noticed how Akio's eyes sparkled with intelligence and good humor, nor how strong and straight he stood. "'The Buddha is wise,' she agreed. "'Would you like to discuss this over tea?' Akio bowed. "'I would be honored.' Of course, when Hisa realized she needed to heat water and the only kettle was the tanuki, she hesitated. "'Actually, I have, um, not properly tempered this kettle. Would you care for some rice wine instead?' Akio grinned. "'It is far too early for wine. Come, this is a tea-house. Let us have tea.' Hisa had no intention of setting the poor tanuki on the stove, but at the same time, if she didn't, Akio would surely wonder. She glanced down to see the tanuki kettle close one eye in a conspiratorial wink. The next moment a tendril of fragrant steam issued from the spout. Hisa felt a grin tugging her lips. To hide it she turned away to set a pair of cups on a tray, and poured a stream of the most delicate, perfumed chrysanthemum tea. Akio took a sip. His face softened in the lines of delight. This is most wondrous tea. Hisa lowered her eyes modestly and sipped. Indeed, it was delicious, the finest tea she had ever tasted. Any tanuki, or tanuki kettle, that can brew such wonderful tea can chase my father's chickens whenever it likes. Akio bent low so he was eye to eye with the tanuki kettle. Although it would probably be best if such a tanuki restrained itself to times when my father was not at home. 
the tanuki kettle blushed. "'I'm sorry, master. I promised Hisa I would leave your chickens alone, for the Buddha frowns upon such indulgence. But it was the only way I could think of you meeting her.' Akio choked on his tea. When he had finished coughing, and after Hisa had thumped him several times on the back, he stared at the tanuki kettle. "'It spoke!' "'Of course it spoke.' He support herself another cup of tea. "'It is not a rude tanuki kettle, just a mischievous one.' Akio began to chuckle. His chuckles turned to guffaws. Soon his laughter belled throughout the tea-house. "'I have never met as bold and interesting a person as you, Hisa,' he said, wiping tears of merriment from his eyes. "'May I visit you again?' Hisa felt her heart somersault in her chest. Of course. Akio called on Hisa every day. He made sure the huntsmen stopped shouting and galloping through the streets, and he also cautioned them to never ever harm a tanuki. The tanuki, for his part, stopped distressing the chickens. In good time, Hisa asked Akio if he would like to wed her. Akio, who had been waiting for just the right moment to propose, agreed when he could find his voice again. At their wedding, instead of sake, they served the most superb tea any one had ever tasted. And if the guest noticed the tea-kettle winking, or spilling tea as it whispered to the bride or groom, they were too polite to comment. Before I get to the feedback, I want to apologize for mispronouncing Bingo Rage's name. The funny thing is, I've been reading fast over the name and thinking for some reason that it was Bin George, and when I pulled the feedback quote, I thought I'd better take a closer look and somehow managed to come up with Bing Orange. I guess it just goes to show. What, I'm not certain, but surely there's a lesson somewhere. Sorry, Bingo Rage, and thanks for being such a good sport about it. Episode number 25... Greg Van Eekout's Anywhere There's a Game about a basketball pro and the strange characters he's played with was generally well received. On the blog, Epilonius said, I really enjoyed this story, mainly because the little surprises that occurred felt like they should have been predictable but weren't until they were revealed. And Hyperion said, Anywhere There's a Game took me back to late nights at the park, under the lights, nothing better than waiting for next. Greg Van Eekout clearly knows his basketball, and I liked how the fantasy aspects melted in without pomp and fizzle like a Garcia Marquez novel. On the board, Sylvan said that despite not being a sports fan, this story really brought an interest to the sports genre for me, and not just by the inclusion of fantastic elements. There was a humanity to the story that really pulled me in. Not everyone was thrilled. Ryos said, I didn't like the way the story jumped around like a drunken power forward. I'm not even sure if the story was always told by the same protagonist. The whole affair felt disjointed and random. It lacked cohesion. There was no central yarn to hold on to, leaving the story feeling more like a collection of shorts that seemed somewhat interrelated than a single complete work. And writer Dan said, Not my favorite. Very little actual solid fantasy until very near the end, and even then it was kind of iffy. Very little impact for me, with less and less with each successive substory. If you've got something to say, come on over to forum.escapeartist.info and say it. We'd love to have you.
Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of Podcastle or nearly anything else on our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartist.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. A Chinese proverb says, When one has tea and wine, one will have many friends.